This is Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe. All right, everyone, welcome to another edition of Holding Court. Patrick McEnroe here back stateside after a couple of weeks in Paris. And as I mentioned throughout the entire tournament while I was over there, uh, just incredible tournament, great weather throughout the entire uh, two weeks. Had a little bit of cloud cover just on that final weekend, but nothing to disrupt the play. Um, you know, the finals were good. Uh, certainly the women's final uh, lived up, maybe surpassed expectations, at least for me. I thought it would be a straight set win for Sviantec, which it very nearly was. It actually almost was a complete beatdown uh, in that championship match. She was up a set and three love against Karolina Muhova, who was appearing in her first major final. So as I suspected, she was a little bit tight there early on, but uh, she was... She got into it in that second set and uh, actually had a break even to open in that third set in that final. And I have to say, uh, I think Iga Sviantek, obviously the best clay court player in the world. She's now won three French Open titles. She's got four majors overall, including last year's U.S. Open. Uh, definitely the best clay court player out there. It wasn't as stellar of a season on clay for her as it's been in years past, but I still felt she was a solid favorite. Uh, she delivered, and, and I did like the fact that she had to come from behind in that final set because there have been plenty of instances this year in big matches, whether it was down in Australia, uh, Indian Wells, and so on, where she did get injured, um, that she was ahead. Uh, and then when things got tight or when the uh, was Ribikina got on top of her, that she sort of did the El Foldo. So I was a little worried um, for her uh, in that final set because you're thinking, oh, you know, some adversity here in the final. I know she won last year in the U.S. Open in three. I think she dropped the first set there. But just generally speaking, she's an amazing front runner, but maybe not as good thus far in her young career at sort of gutting out matches. So I think it was good for her, for her reputation, for her to be able to come back from a breakdown the way she did uh, in that championship match. Muhova really had the crowd behind her. I mean, they were just looking for a match midway through that second set. They got it and then some. And Muhova's got just a beautiful all-around game. Uh, she can come in. She used a drop shot a lot, probably overused it early. I think that was likely the nerves. Uh, good serving. You know, she's a mini Ash Barty, not quite as good off the forehand. Um, you know, maybe doesn't move quite as well as Barty, but she's an all-court player, and she can play with a lot of variety, which she did. So Sviantek was able to get the break back early, some tight games at 3-all, 4-all, get the break, uh, and win it there 6-4 in the third set, as I said, to capture her fourth title overall, fourth major title. Um, and the rankings now give her... Uh, you know, keep her where she is because obviously it's really a three-person race at the moment in women's tennis. It's Sabalenka who, you know, got tight in that semifinal up 5-2. I mean, she had a lot to deal with during the tournament uh, with the questions about the war. You know, she handled it, I think, as well as she could. She missed a couple of press conferences because of it. The French Federation allowed her to do that, which I think was the right call. Uh, particularly after what we saw happen a couple years ago with, with Naomi Osaka. So the attention was brought to it and, and give the French Federation uh, and the media people over there credit for 
making her available. You know, she, she talked to, I, I don't know who it was, a representative from the WTA or a press person. They put out uh, some comments from her tennis related. And then she did see the press again um, later in the tournament. She had the 5-2 lead. Uh, it was a heck of an effort by Muhova to come back uh, and win that match and then play as well as she did uh, in the championship match. So we look at the uh, rankings right now. I'll look at the WTA rankings. Fiontech's got a, you know, about a 900-point lead over Sabalenka. Ribakina's in third, uh, slightly ahead of Garcia. She should be much further ahead because of the 2,000 points that she didn't get from Wimbledon, uh, winning Wimbledon last year. She'll certainly go in uh, to Wimbledon as probably the favorite, I'd say. Ribakina is probably the favorite. Uh, Sabalenka, of course, has played well there before, losing in the final to Barty a couple of years ago. She'll be dangerous there. Iga hasn't played that well yet at Wimbledon. I do suspect with her athleticism and, you know, she can take the ball early. Uh, can she cut the ball off enough, well enough on a grass court? That remains to be seen. But I think you'd have to say Ribakina is a favorite. Sabalenka, too. Sviantek in there. Uh, Pagula should be, you know, could be a threat at Wimbledon with her flat groundies. Hits the ball early. Garcia as well, who went out early, but not surprisingly with the pressure on her, and she's an aggressive player. Coco Goff, we got to mention her. Pretty good tournament for her to get to the quarters uh, and and play you know, a competitive set, at least one competitive set against Fiontech. She's been you know, totally manhandled by her. I think it's 7-0 and now, maybe 8-0 head-to-head. She's never won a set. Uh, but I think based on where Coco was during the clay court season, Getting to the quarters was uh, a pretty good result for her. Had Admaya, who reached the semis, losing to Sviantec, moved up four spots. So she's at 10. You've got Kvitova at 9. She's won a couple of Wimbledon titles. Certainly, if she gets hot, she could be a factor as there as well. You look at Kudamertova, Samson. As I said, Muhova has got to be considered one of the favorites if she can you know, bounce back and recover. You saw the tears from her, the emotion from her. Uh, uh, at the ceremony, which was great to see. I mean, how much it meant to her. It was, as I said, a terrific tournament. She's come back from injury. She's up. She went, She moved up 27 spots. So she's 16 in the world. Um, so that puts her in a pretty good spot at Wimbledon uh, to, to make a little bit of a run. You know, hopefully for her, she stays away from one of the big three uh, in the round of 16 there because she could certainly be a factor. Benchich. Uh, Carolina Pliskova, who's played well before on grass. Azarenka's down to 19. So there's a, again, at Wimbledon, I'm not going to say it's wide open, uh, and those top three have distanced themselves, but certainly uh, shaping up to be a pretty competitive. There's, you know, Sviantec is nowhere near the favorite that she was in Paris. Uh, as I said, probably likely not even the favorite. So that's a quick little rundown. Thank you to a lot of you who... Uh, came to Twitter uh, earlier today. There was some comment. There's a lot of comments about the doubles player who was defaulted. You know, I have mixed feelings about that. Um, Miyu Kato, I believe is her name, from Japan. Uh, it, it was nice. She won the mix. So she came back and won the mix. She was hitting, you know, everybody who's talking about it knows what happened. She was just hitting the ball over to the other side. It hit a ball girl. The ball girl was actually in tears, um, which is what the opponent's brought to the attention of the chair umpire, which was a little Bush League to me, sort of trying to get the default, which they ended up getting. 
you know, the rule is, is I, I've criticized the rule in the past for being too murky, right? So it's hard for me to come out now and say, well, you know, cause if you do hit a, look, if you hit a ball in anger, that's, that's the, that's where it could be differentiated because it didn't seem like this player didn't seem like she didn't hit it in anger. That being said, you still have to be responsible for what happens on the court, you know, whether it's with your racket, whether it's with the ball. I mean, if you, if you toss your racket not in anger, but it hits someone in the head, um, you're probably going to get defaulted. I mean, same with the ball. You're in control of the ball. You know, we know what happened to Novak. We're going to get to the men momentarily. We know what happened to Novak at the Open a couple of years ago. We saw it happen to Tim Henman a long, long time ago in doubles at Wimbledon. Those times they hit the ball in anger, so you could differentiate it, but then it, it, it creates sort of a gray area where the player could possibly say, I wasn't, you know, angry, I was just whatever. And it's it I, I think there are too few hard, fast rules in tennis. That's the only thing that's that's the thing that's always killed me about the time. You know, the players taking too much time, you know, the breaks in between sets, going to the bathroom, make it a time and stick to it. And you know, you can have a, a valid excuse, right? If you're a female player and you're having your period and you need to go get changed, it takes longer. Well, it takes longer. If you're a man, you're sick. Let's say you're throwing up and you come back after, you know, whatever that time is, whether it's three minutes, whether it's five, then you get you pay it penalized. That's all. It's just as simple as that. So in this case, I, I totally get where people are up in arms about it because, again, this player didn't do it in anger. But at the same time, I think tennis needs more rules where it's, it's clear cut. You know, if you're not ready to play when the umpire says time, then you're going to get docked a point or you're going to lose the serve. The same on your serve. Uh, you know, you don't serve within a lot of time. I know there's always ways that they can get around it, whether it's the umpire, the player, so on and so forth. But it was, I guess, just to serve that she did uh, win the mixed doubles. She handled it with a lot of class. Uh, I, I, apparently, she lost the prize money from the doubles. I hope that doesn't happen because that seems a little extreme. Uh, that being said, I, I, I understand why it happened uh, and how it went down. So that's on the women's side. Let's take a quick break now. We'll come back. We'll discuss the men's tournament. Uh, a lot of you uh, chiming in on Twitter, Twitter about Novak uh, and so on. Is he the greatest of all time? We will answer that plus a lot more when we come back here on Holding Court. North Organic CBD is a new sponsor of Holding Court. I love their CBD gummies. They come in two delicious flavors, strawberry lemonade and green apple. I've had them both, both amazing. One a day and you're totally okay. I like to stay active. I like to keep playing tennis. I like to get in the gym. That's why I love North Organic CBD. Their products are made in the USA. They're high quality. They're specially formulated, broad spectrum, organic CBD products for everyday adventurers. Don't forget about the very popular CBD salve from North Organics. Immediate relief of any physical pain. I use it daily for my sore shoulders, sore knees, hips, you name it. It works wonders. Go to NorthOrganicCBD.com and enter Patrick20. That's Patrick20 for 20% off your order. 
The Johnny Mac Tennis Project transforms young lives by removing the economic, racial, and social barriers to success through tennis. JMTP provides tennis as a vehicle for greater life opportunity. The programming provides a pathway to success through competitive tennis, leading to increased health and fitness, college scholarships, and incredible career opportunities. JMTP introduces tennis to thousands of underserved New York children every week. To date, the Johnny Mac Tennis Project has reached over 10,000 students through its community programs, providing 462 individual scholarships, totaling over $8.6 million, and 32 of its scholarship recipients have gone on to receive college scholarships through tennis. For more info, go to jmtpny.org. I can't wait to hit the court after school. All right, welcome back to Holding Court. Patrick McEnroe here and uh, the men's tournament now at Roland Garros. Let's get into that. Let's start with the rankings because I tweeted out uh, in the last day or so the uh, screenshot of the the official ATP rankings. And I said something to the effect of, you know, all is right in the world, in the tennis world, meaning that now Novak is back at number one. And remember, that's still, as it is with Ribikina on the women's side, uh, without his points from winning Wimbledon. So he would have been number one throughout this year, most of this year anyway, if not all of this year. But now he's uh, about 400, a little over 400 points ahead of Alcaraz. So he would be 2,400 ahead um, although Alcaraz, when he lost to Sinner last year, so, you know, everybody gets some points, but he'd be distantly in front. But now he's in front, and that's what I meant when I put that out there, that, you know, we all know Novak's the best player in the world at the moment, uh, the best of all time. Yes, I, I, think, I don't think there's any doubt about that at the moment. We'll get into that. So you've got Alcaraz at two, Medvedev at three. He's had a bounce-back year, a great year, rude really righted the ship for himself by getting to the final. I didn't expect that to happen. I thought Runa would be the guy. Uh, he beat Runa, who was flat uh, in the first two sets of their match in the quarters and then got into it, but it was too late. Uh, uh, Runa's up to six, though, by the way, in the ranking, so he's solidly there. Sitsipas at five, now in a romance with uh, Paula Badosa, uh, the Spanish player who pulled out uh, with an injury, so they look like they're having a good time uh, hanging out together, so good for them. Uh, Rublev is 7, Taylor Fritz at 8. Now, remember, he's got a lot of points to defend from Wimbledon, reaching the quarters last year where he lost that thriller to Nadal, who was injured and then couldn't show up against Kyrgios. Sinners at 9, Hatchinoff, who had the great tournament, um, getting as far as he did in Paris at 10. Ojay Aliassim, who you got to be a little bit worried about, has really struggled the last couple of months. 11, Tiafo 12, Nori 13, Hercotch 14, Chorich, Tommy Paul. That rounds out the top 16. So you got uh, three Americans in the top 16. Uh, you know, I think all three of those guys can be, can be factors at Wimbledon. You know, one of the messages I got on Twitter was, you know, what was the deal with the American men? I mean, I told you, don't, not, don't expect too much. Uh, at Roland Garros on the clay. I mean, those three guys plus Corda coming up, uh, you know, they're all can be in the mix at, at the other majors, but at, at the French, still not seeing it on the clay. Um, but I do think that all three of those guys, and I see them all playing, at least two of them playing this week, Fritz and Tiafo. 
I think Paul's there or, or next week. So I expect to see, you know, a couple of those guys in the second week of Wimbledon. You know, that means fourth round on. And I think there's a chance for uh, one or two of them to go to go real deep. Um, all right, let's get into Novak. Uh, you know, it was Novak at his best managing the situation, came out in the final, uh, got down. Well, let me talk first about Alcaraz because Alcaraz, you know, he – he was way too hyped up in the beginning of that match. I was watching it from um, uh, the BNP Paribas suite uh, up above, and I was telling the people I was with, he's just way too uptight. You know, in that first set, you could see him just, he was just going for going for too much. And I did say this before the tournament in a few interviews I did. You, it, the one thing you worry about with Alcaraz is he's so explosive, he's so dynamic, He's so much fun to watch, and these are the things that make him fun, fun to watch, is because he just, a lot of times he goes for it when he doesn't have to go for it. And it's, as I said, it's, it's, it's highlight real tennis, but it's not always winning tennis, particularly in best of five in a major when you're going up against Novak. And Novak, uh, with all his experience, with all his smarts, you know, sensed that right away in the first couple of games, and he just... He just went into sort of a lockdown mode, which he can do uh, at the blink of an eye. We saw him do it throughout the tie breaks during the whole tournament, you know, barely dropping points, didn't lose a tie. Greatest tie break player by far of all times because of his ability to calibrate his shots, uh, point in and point out, depending on the situation. But he noticed at Djokovic that Alcaraz was super hyped. So he just went into a sort of a defensive mode, was basically gifted the first set without really playing that you know, having to grind and, uh, he did, Alcaraz did play better late in the set. So he started to get it going. That's what led to, you know, the spectacular play from both guys in the second with Alcaraz winning it. So at that point at a set all after a couple hours, you're thinking, you know, game on this, this is going to be an epic match, which we all expected. And I actually thought, you know, in the first game or two, you know, taking a close look at Novak, I'm like, Hmm, Hasn't really, I mean, he was tested against Davidovich Fokina physically. It was three hours, 40-something, but it was straight sets. He was never down, so you never really thought he's in trouble in that match, even though he did have to play a lot of long points. I'm thinking, hmm, you know, may, could, he, could he possibly get a little bit tired here, uh, which, of course, I knew, I know I should hit myself in the head. I mean, how many times have we seen, seen that? But he is 36, so at some point you got to think it's going to happen. So you kind of keep wondering, okay, is it going to happen here? And, of course, the next game, Alcaraz pulls up, cramping, uh, and that's all from nerves. That's not from anything. I know it was hot that day. I know the second set was physical. But this guy has played a lot of long match. I sat there at the Open watching him play uh, Sinner, you know, Tiafo, Rude. I mean, all grinding, five set. I know it's hard court, not as grinding as clay, but still. Uh, I, I, it was nerves. It was just the whole, and don't tell me that it's, it doesn't, because it, it was the second set that best of five doesn't matter. Best of five matters because of the mindset, the mentality going into the match, the hype, the pressure, Novak, French Open, semis, Alcaraz is, uh, is actually was a favorite, believe it or not, by the odds makers. I know a lot of tennis experts. I know, of course, I mean, I talked to a bunch of people. I was actually leaning Alcaraz going into the match. Of course, I picked Novak and Iga at the beginning of the tournament. It turned out that that I should have stuck with that, but I didn't go out 
on a limb on that one. I just felt like, I, from my eye test, I thought Alcaraz was hitting the ball better, hitting playing bigger. Um, but again, Novak has that ability, which is why he's part of the reason why he's the greatest ever, of understanding when he needs to be aggressive, when he needs to be neutral, when defensive, when to go to the slice, when to come in, when to take chances on the second serve. I mean, there's no better adjuster to what's going on ever. And part of it is because he's so malleable with his strokes. He's not as, you know, I've talked to just sports people who, you know, they love watching Roger. We all did. They, you know, Nadal's got this in- in- intensity. They're like, how can Djokovic be so good? Like what? Because they, they don't, they can't see it. They don't really, they don't get tennis. They don't get the fundamental, the technique, his ability, as I said, to calibrate shots with the exact same swings to hit the ball, you know, at 55% or 95% and everything in between. That's his, his greatness uh, and his ability to manage over the course of a match. So that was a huge factor, I believe, in Alcaraz just tightening up, and that, that's why he cramped up. What, I didn't have anything to do with the physical. I mean, a little bit to do with the physical side, but this guy's a pretty well-trained um, puppy there. So he's 20. He's, he's going to learn from this. He's going to learn that, you know, you don't have to go big that early in matches. You know, you, you, he's got to learn how to calibrate his own, his own power and the weaponry that he has, and sometimes win at playing, you know, 65, 70%. Uh, in the final, you know, Rude came out hot, got off to a quick start, took it to Novak right away. You're thinking, okay, he might be able to seal this set, maybe make it interesting. But as soon as Novak got that break back, you know, got it back to, it was, I think it was 4-1 for Rude, got back to 4-all, 5-all. Then it gets to the breaker, and you're thinking, okay, he, you know, Rude's got to win this now because now it's like a, it turned into a well over an hour, the first set. And Rude's one of the fittest guys around. But Novak just has – he's got more options in his game. So not only fitness-wise is he arguably – he's still even better than these guys. But because he has so many different ways to play over course of a long match – it starts to favor him even more and more, unless he hits the wall physically, which is, in my view, is kind of the only way to beat him in best of five. Unless you're Roger, you just beat him because you're you're Roger, or you're Rafa, you grind him down because you can do that. He can do that on clay, and to a certain extent, he can be there on a hard court. Uh, you know, Medvedev when he beat him at the Open, Novak hit the wall. You know, emotionally, physically, in that match. Um, and then Novak, of course, gets him back, you know, shortly thereafter. So now he's got 23. Uh, it's not it's not all about that for me, you know, that he's got 23. The other is 22 and 20 for Roger. It's about the longevity. It's about the surfaces. You know, he's got at least three now in every major with his third French Open. Um, it's, you know, his record against those other two great guys. Uh, it's his also what I see is his incredible ability to play his best when it matters most. And you, there are, he has lost in major finals. Um, you know, even the guys outside those other big two, Rob Rinka played the match of his life to beat him. Murray beat him in that U S open in Wimbledon. You know, he's beaten them more than they've beaten him, but you know, to beat him, you got to be at your absolute best. He never plays a bad match in a big spot. Never. Uh, I can't think of, I mean, I'm trying to think of one, like, I can't think of one. 
maybe you'll remind me. But um, so you combine all those things, and then you look at what's going to happen. What you know, obviously, let's just say he's it ends right here. He's, I would still put him as the greatest at twenty three. But now you've got Wimbledon where he's going to be a significant favorite no matter what happened at the French. Now that he's won the French, that just gives him even more confidence. He won't play any warm-up tournaments. He'll show up there. He'll just work his way into the tournament. There's, there's a handful of guys. I've said this for the last couple of years, and, I, and it's still true. There's only a handful of guys that can even play with him on grass. Okay, Hardcore's different. There's a bunch of guys that can get hot and and. And, you know, maybe not beat him in best of five, but, but you know, windy, hot, you know, the conditions in New York can be a little unpredictable, though that's changed a little bit with the roof there. So you got to look at the last couple of years. He gets defaulted with, the, you know, hitting the ball kid, the, the lines person. You know, he can't play last year because the vaccine. I think the conditions are actually way more favorable to Novak now with the roof because there's not – is you don't get the extreme heat because the sun doesn't often get on the court. But most importantly, it's not nearly as windy. And that's why I think one of the reasons why he's so much better over the career in Australia is because it's the, 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 the way the stadium's set up, the conditions are almost always perfect. And he's most of the time playing at night. So it's like just perfect ball-striking conditions which suit him so well. Uh, obviously, he can play in anything. He can play in a storm. But I think that, you know, it's a little bit more of an equalizer when that happens. So um, let me hear what else I got from you. I'll just quickly go through this. Uh, the tournament, some people saying that the tournament wasn't successful, but that's ridiculous. The tournament was incredibly successful. The people, I mean, it was packed every single day. Did it lack an epic match on the men's side? I mean, early there were some great matches. I mean, in the big match. It did. Um, it Alcaraz, Djokovic looked like it was going to happen, but didn't happen. Uh, but overall, I thought um, the tournament was was amazing, and the weather had a lot to do with it. The fans came out. Uh, you know, some people asking me about the American players, about the French players. I mean, I don't think they have a, they had a player past the second round. Um, they've got some a couple of young guys coming up. Van Asha, his name is Fees. Um, eight, I think 18 and 20 or 19 and 20 look like they could be good. Uh, can they be top players? You know, who knows? Um, very, very interesting. Uh, a couple of people wanting to know about, uh, when they're going to use the, uh, chat, not the challenge, the electronic line calling system. My buddy, Pablo Araya from Peru, uh, you must have been psyched, Pablo, about your guy from Peru making that run. Vareles, I think I'm, I hope I'm saying his name right. Lost to Novak. That was a great run for him. Uh, yeah, they should they should switch to it because the marks are. I mean, they're pretty solid, but uh, you know, over the years, it's been a question of money. But I think the system now is much more reasonable. You see it at the ATP is going to have it at every tournament. So they if they say every tournament's got to mean clay as well. So one would think that the French would, um, would follow suit uh, with that. Um, okay, well, I think that pretty much covers it. Uh, by the way, uh, coming up on Thursday, uh, the legendary coach Rick Macy uh, is going to be joining me. Uh, he's been doing a lot of press, a lot of great interviews I've seen with him, 68 years old. 
still going strong down at his tennis academy down there in Florida. Um, of course, he's famous from for us for the non tennis us tennis people that he's been famous for a long time because he was a prominent uh, figure in the Williams sisters movie King King Richard movie. Excuse me, um, he was in that, and so he's uh, he's really fun, great lesson. Uh, he's been doing some stuff, just general uh, top tennis topical stuff, and uh, loved having him on my pod. We did the interview a couple of weeks ago. I actually would love to have him on again because. He's really fun, and uh, rumor has it that maybe he could be helping out Coco Goff at one point, so we'll see if that happens. But the great Rick Macy will be with me here on Holding Court. Thank you, everyone, for chiming in on Twitter. And uh, French Open in the books. Novak Djokovic with his 23rd. Iga Sviantek with her fourth. How many will each of them end up with when their careers are said and done. Don't forget to subscribe to and share Holding Court. Holding Court is powered by Mudhouse Media.